I originally heard this from a book, one of my favorite books, actually. This is in a book called Fabricated, but let me see if I can paraphrase it. This is Melissa Snova, the founder of a company called Nourished. You wake up and your automatic blinds don't actually move because it's just a material that changes from clear to opaque because we've now mastered 4D printing, which is basically change of material for use, right? Then you walk into your kitchen and your biometric measurement technique, whatever it might be, your Fitbit, has already sent vitamin levels and hydration levels and macro levels to your 3D printer, which is in your kitchen, which is now making you your favorite cranberry orange scone by Jamie Oliver, but fortifying it with all of the necessary macro and micronutrients, which you need at that moment to get back into perfect balanced health. And that's just the beginning of your day. Welcome to the Future Lab podcast, where I'm bringing you the stories behind the technological innovations, taking imagined visions of the future and turning them into a present day reality. I'm Lucy Johnston. I'm the curator of the annual Future Lab Live exhibition at the Goodwood Festival of Speed and I study the impact of new technologies on industry, society, and the world around us. In this podcast, I'm meeting people who are tackling the biggest problems facing planet Earth and using technology to change how we live our lives. In this episode, making the impossible possible. In about six months, I developed my first prototype you're creating a 3D model or a 3D design out of nothing. It's also a feeling I'll never get sick of to be able to say, I developed something that no one has ever done before, ever. This podcast is brought to you by a medical diagnostic company called Randox. And over the series, we're going to be hearing about the work they do and the people who work there. I'm Catherine McCook. Catherine is an electrical and electronic design engineer at Randox. One of the projects she's worked on is the Randox Discovery. So essentially, I designed all the electrical parts that make the machine run. Without that, we wouldn't be able to have a Randox discovery sitting in front of us. Randox designs all sorts of diagnostic tests, but they realised their investigative procedures were too complicated. The equipment for their tests took up a lot of space and required users to be highly skilled. So they wanted to build machines that were smaller and easier to use. It's exciting stuff, but Catherine's family don't always get it. None of the rest of my family are engineers. We all tend to have went off and when it's down really different career paths so sometimes you're going home and you're getting really excited about something that you've done in work and they're like no Catherine I don't understand anything you've just said. (laughs) But the projects Catherine works on really are exciting and we're going to hear more about them later in the episode. 
now, back to the Future Lab podcast. Three D printing is a technology I've been tracking for over fifteen years now, and it's always fascinated me. From the very first time I saw a little Eiffel Tower being printed, and a Christmas tree angel appear before my eyes. I visited all kinds of laboratories and workplaces around the world that are applying the technology in their manufacturing and creative processes, and the potential just feels like it's growing. It's revolutionising industries from medicine to architecture, art to space exploration, and fashion to food. More accurately, the technology is defined as additive manufacturing. And it's a really complex group of tools, processes and materials, all of which, when brought together, offers us the incredible ability to fabricate structures and objects that we could never have made before. 3D printing enables us to make the impossible possible. From the smallest to the biggest structures, 3D printing can change the game across so many factors. From speed, precision and cost, to new material technologies, customization, and sustainability. It removes the requirement for a production line and means we can just make single products at no extra cost as and when they're needed. It can even give us the ability to make structures that cheat gravity. You're creating a 3D model or a 3D design out of nothing. Like when Andy Langfeld had an annoying problem. He needed a place to keep his baby monitor. Because it was always falling on my head during night and I couldn't sleep. By his own admission, he's not the most technical person. My wife would attest uh, that uh, it's better to get someone in-house to fix something than let it do by myself. But Andy had a 3D printer. I printed a little structure to hold the baby phone. Then it didn't fall over anymore, but had a perfect angle to watch the baby and so forth. I designed the part, I printed it, and I was the only one in the neighborhood that has a 3D printed part in the household so I could uh, show off. There was a lot of pride involved. Andy works for Stratasys, one of the original 3D printing companies. They make printers that are used by fine artists, car companies, manufacturers and many other organisations. 3D printers work by feeding a raw material into the printer via a tray, a bath or a bed. It's a process that is layer by layer and you're creating step by step a 3D object. And that's compared to the conventional process where you have a block and you reduce That's subtractive, creating a lot of waste. Because everything you cut away from a block of material has to be thrown out. That's why 3D printing is also known as additive manufacturing. Because you just use the materials that you need for the part. This makes it a much more efficient way to make objects or parts for bigger things, like cars, planes, refrigerators, whatever you can think of. The printers use computer-aided design, or CAD software, which is a program used for rendering 3D shapes. So it's not a drawing on the paper anymore. It's really going into the three dimensionals. 
And that's also the basis. Any cut design, any cut file can be translated into a file format that can be 3D printed. Sophisticated software solutions, they don't even need a translation anymore. You just take the cut design out of any cut software, you click on print and it prints. Being able to 3D print objects on demand is less wasteful of raw material. But that's not all. You don't need to keep inventory for spare parts. You just reproduce the spare parts when they are needed, uh, where they are needed. So companies can produce fewer spare parts in the first place and make them to order locally. True to form, it seems that the earliest description of what we'd now call a 3D printer can be found in the pages of science fiction. In 1945, Murray Leinster wrote a short story called Things Pass By, in which a spaceship gets built, layer by layer, by a machine. The arm made clumsy but precise gestures, following the drawings off to one side. It had begun by putting a blob of magnetronic plastic on a stout upright. Then, for a while, it made gradually enlarging circles about that spot. Just a few years later, the same idea became a reality, at the hands of various inventors, including a man called Scott Crump. Typical classical American dream, the late 70s, early 80s, the founder of Stratasys, Scott Crump, has invented a 3D printer in the garage and then took it to market. The promise back then was really being able to be agile and quickly replicate a part uh, that you want to hold in your hand. While 3D printing was originally developed with things like prototyping and the production of spare parts in mind, in 2012, a lot of the major patents around the technology expired. Suddenly, 3D printing technology became accessible to anyone who wanted to start playing. Our customers took it into many different applications. Companies like Stratasys would make 3D printers, but what people chose to do with those printers, the sky was the limit. And over the last 10 years, huge communities of 3D printing enthusiasts sprung up all around the world. This community has been helping to A, spread the word, B, accelerate uh, innovation, and three, uh, offer alternatives to what the big players in the market have always been offering. After this explosion of interest in 2012, people from the wider 3D printing community began to launch their own companies, creating new types of 3D printers and applications for 3D printing that the original inventors would never have imagined. You have seen an acceleration in the past five years of new market entrants providing a 3D printing solution or a 3D printer. Melissa Snover is one of those disruptors. She founded a company called Nourished, which makes nutritional supplements. But her supplements aren't like the usual vitamins you get on the shelf at your local pharmacy. We make a totally unique product every five minutes. That's because Nourished are 3D printing their supplements to order, using state-of-the-art technology that Melissa created. The supplements look like this. It's a heptagon shape, and it's about the size of maybe a Percy pig, maybe slightly smaller, and it has seven different layers. Each of the layers are individual nutrients. When you look at the product, it, it looks like a bit of a rainbow. 
And then it's coated with a citric acid erythmetol coating, which is really nice for the flavor, but it also makes it look a little bit like a tank fastic. There are no other 3D printers out there that can do exactly what Melissa's do, using an AI-powered algorithm to print totally personalized supplements, unique to every customer. I'm so proud of the technology that we've developed. The company currently holds 12 of its own patents. It's also a feeling I'll never get sick of to be able to say, I developed something that no one has ever done before, ever. This podcast is brought to you by Randox. Earlier, we spoke to Catherine, an engineer based in Belfast. She works with a lot of the scientists at Randox. Whenever you first start in here, everybody's throwing around all these key terms like PCR and, you know, all, all these big fancy terms and you're sort of sitting there like, oh, like I honestly don't know like what that means. But to be fair, Catherine can't really talk. My sort of main responsibilities would be PCB design, cable design, prototyping, testing, validating our components as well. And we try to bring all of the different design elements together to create one analyzer, one system. When they start a new project, like the discovery analyzer Catherine helped develop, the first thing she gets is a set of requirements from the molecular scientists. We basically sit down and say, right, this is what we need to make this assay run. And then from there, we kind of say, like, sort of break it down further and say, okay, so we need thermal systems, motion systems. Then they get to work making a prototype. We take our first prototype and then from that, then we might say, okay, so we've made a machine that can now do this, this and this. So for the next prototype, we want it to do this as well. Through this iterative process, Randox have created medical test analyzers that are much smaller and easier to use than the existing technology. They can carry out a multitude of tests, including genetic tests for infectious diseases and cancer. We'll head back to Randox later in the episode to hear more about the Discovery Project. When those big patents around 3D printing expired in 2012, Melissa Snover was one of the people who started tinkering with the technology, reimagining the possibilities of what 3D printing could offer the world, coming up with ideas that could have once sounded silly, like 3D printing food. Melissa had already founded a confectionery company. Which was called Goody Good Stuff. And that concept was the world's first vegan, allergen-free gummy candy range. She'd had frustrations with the manufacturing process. When you make something in a traditional factory, you have to make over 100,000 units of the same variety at any given time. So every individual flavor, you had to make 10, 100,000 bags. This was hugely restrictive. There would always be one or two people that would, you know, ask for a very obscure flavor. And I would have to say, no, I'm really sorry, we don't have that. And that really bothered me so much. Melissa wanted to solve the problem. It's not physically possible to stock a store shelf with enough options to please everyone all the time. So she came up with a new idea. What if we could create a device that would allow people to choose from a huge variety of different options around shape, color, coating, 
you know, fizzy or sour and basically allow them to walk into a store and make that product in a matter of minutes to any specification that they desired at that moment. And that's when I started the development and 3D printing of food. Printing food. At that stage, I had never used a 3D printer before. And it had been many years since my programming days um, of university. So Melissa was going to have to learn a whole new set of pretty niche skills. Luckily, that kind of challenge is right up her street. I was a nerd before it was cool to be a nerd. I remember in high school, I went to school at five in the morning because if I did that, I got an opportunity to take an extra class with an amazing professor, which was called Great Books. Basically, we read a different book every three weeks and it was a year-long class. It was almost 50 books. Some kids would have been like, oh God, was so much reading. Like, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Melissa was always an enterprising kid. I was always like organizing and planning things. And I used to always just walk around and be rushing around saying, now I need. I guess that's naturally made me a good entrepreneur. When she had the idea for on-demand 3D printing of candies, it was around 2015. The technology had been out of patent for about three years. It was finally accessible to anyone and the community around it was starting to build. There was really only one thing to do. I bought 3D printers off the internet, took them apart, put them back together. I was in an apartment in Berlin. I was on the top floor of a really old building that had no lift and when I would get all the deliveries, it was really taxing to get up to the top floor on the stairs. She would buy ready-to-use 3D printers from different companies. Ultimaker, MakerBot, PrinterBot, etc. But a lot of those companies also sold 3D printer kits. So what I did that gave me the best learning was I would actually buy a fully assembled version and then a kit, which is basically for people who are really inclined for tinkering and enjoy it to be able to build the printer from scratch anyway. And so by having both the finished product and the kit together, I was able to learn much faster how it all fits together. And while she was tinkering, she was supplementing her learning in other ways too. Reading every single book on 3D printing on the internet, attending courses on G-coding. And one of the best things about 3D printing is that the kind of community around it is extremely open and very helpful and very supportive. If you are so inclined or stubborn, depending on how you look at it, you can learn almost anything in about six months. I developed my first prototype and a really, really cool toolpath overriding software, which allowed for anyone with no technical knowledge to use a 3D printer well. In 2015, Melissa launched a new company, the Magic Candy Factory. But in the end, I started to realize pretty early on that although that concept was doing a lot for the technology, it was a novelty to make a customized confectionery item. So Melissa wanted to think bigger, to do something that had more purpose. And the big idea she had fell not out of the sky, but out of a plastic bag. I used to carry around a disgusting Ziploc bag of vitamins with me everywhere I would go. And I used to travel over 200 days a year before COVID. And when I was in the airport one day in Dusseldorf, and they just spilled out all over the floor in the security line. 
And, you know, I'm sitting on the floor picking up vitamins and there's a lot of very unimpressed German travelers <laughs> around me and other travelers too. But honestly, it's the worst place in the world to be inefficient. And I just thought, geez, Louise, somebody's got to be able to do this a better way. And that's when it occurred to her. You have a 3D printing food company. Maybe you can do it. That's really where the idea for Nourished happened. This podcast is brought to you by Randox. Catherine, an engineer at Randox, is currently working on their Discovery Analyzer, a small machine that aims to simplify and miniaturize medical testing processes. Catherine is one of the people actually building that device. A lot of the stuff I've done is, has been like upgrades and improvements. Randox realized that for some medical testing processes, a whole laboratory floor might be dedicated to one investigation and the equipment was often really difficult to use. So five years ago, they started the Discovery Project with the aim of creating a single piece of equipment that could solve these problems. The Grandox Discovery is a, uh, a benchtop machine. It's very cuboid, so it's, it's quite fashionable in regard to product design. This is Stuart Jackson. I'm an engineering project manager at Randox. When you're working in a lab, you get used to big, ugly pieces of equipment, day-to-day workhorses, that's fine, but it's, it's, it's quite nice when you actually see something that's, that's very elegant in its design. Stuart's been part of the project since the very start, when they first scribbled the name Discovery on a piece of paper. The Discovery essentially takes uh, what molecular diagnostics scientists do day-to-day in a, a number of different labs, Highly controlled labs with lots of PP and, and, and control processes that may take up an entire floor of a building. What this discovery is doing is taking all of that and encapsulating it into a single benchtop instrument. We've actually won a Red Dot Design Award for this product. The Red Dot Design Award is an international competition for product design. It's a big deal. You're giving the small to medium labs the power and the ability to essentially punch above their weight in regard to testing. So smaller labs who didn't have the capacity for certain medical testing procedures before can now carry out those same tests using a benchtop analyzer that only requires a single operator. You can learn more about the work Randox does by visiting randoxhealth.com. Melissa Snova had just come up with an idea. She wanted to 3D print personalised, on-demand, nutritional supplements. To use her innovative 3D printing technology to do something that would make a real difference in people's lives. I drew a picture on the plane on my way home from Dusseldorf of what I wanted it to be like. And when she got back, she sat down with her company's chief technology officer. We basically thought about ways that we could take my existing IP add to it, modify it, and optimize it in order to create something that would be meaningful and create a true valuable impact in people's lives on a daily basis. In the industry where we felt personalization was most desperately needed and not currently getting it from the market offering, which was health and wellness. I think that when you develop a product that you want, it makes it easier. In my whole life, I've developed things over and over again that were things that I want. They weren't just trying to make a new type of multivitamin. Their product would be a totally personalised, unique supplement 
designed around the needs of each customer, 3D printed on demand and posted out to order. You start by going to the Nourished website. Where you go on and you engage with a consultation questionnaire, which is linked to a decision-making algorithm and a recommendation engine. On that questionnaire, you answer questions about your existing health, your day-to-day lifestyle, and the goals that you have for your health. And each of the answers that you provide is linked to a sophisticated, intelligent logic algorithm, which is integrated with AI, which then creates a weighting around each of the ingredients based on your inputs. After the algorithm runs your information, you get a recommendation of seven nourishments that are best suited to you. From a possible 30 different vitamins, minerals, superfoods and actives, all of which have been clinically trial tested to a pharma grade level and all of which have at least two trials that actually validate the health claims and the benefits which we are talking about when we say we recommend this because this. The algorithm also constantly updates as new clinical research becomes available. You'll find that there's studies like, you know, women over the age of 55 who are going through menopause highly benefit from resveterol. It's not about men in their 30s. It's about a very specific set of people. And so we integrate that information on a weekly basis based on new research coming out all the time. In true Melissa style, she even went out and gained a nutritionist qualification while she was developing Nourished to make sure the whole process was backed up by science all the way. Melissa says that personalised supplements are the future. Every person is different. You're different than even another person of your same age and gender based on how much screen time you have, how you sleep, how are you feeling on a stress level, how much exercise do you get, how often do you eat processed food, do you drink a lot or not a lot, do you travel often, how often do you get sick, What are your goals? Everyone has different goals. Every single person is totally unique. And 3D printing was the key to making these unique, totally customised solutions available, quickly, efficiently and on demand. Melissa isn't the only person exploring the healthcare applications for what 3D printing can do. Here's Andy Langfeld again. When you see a doctor printing a 3D model of a patient... In medical settings... Doctors can now take CT scans or x-rays and print models of our insides to examine before ever needing to do an invasive procedure. And this model is being used in order to practice the surgery, saving time during the surgery to uh, avoid infection. They can replicate tumour structures to decide exactly how to approach an operation before beginning. That's just inspiring because it's saving lives. Stratasys also has clients using their printers in fashion and art. It's opening for a lot of designers a new world where you can, you know, live out creativity in the fashion industry. So you can print on fabrics uh, with our polyjet technology, not just a 2D print on your shirt, but you have 3D structure. The freedom of design, it's very cool to see these applications as well. So just how big can this potentially go? Could we see entire cars or aeroplanes being constructed entirely using 3D printing? Printing a whole aeroplane doesn't make sense economically uh, because there are parts that can be produced in a cheaper way with other processes. But Andy says you will see more and more aeroplane parts. 
being 3D printed. Because it makes economical sense. The use cases have expanded also into supporting the manufacturing process with tooling, jigs and fixtures, grippers on the production floor, as an example. And now it's also going all the way into really producing parts additively. With the ever-growing accessibility of 3D printing, there could even come a day where every one of us has a 3D printer in our home. Time will show. It really just depends how imaginative we decide to get. If you look at uh, 2D printing, when it started, no one believed that it was necessary to have a 2D printer at home. And then all of a sudden, you had your home office and, and you had to print certain stuff at home. It was also the same with the PC. There was an application that made it a requirement to be able to print at home. And looking far, far away from home, scientists are already testing robots that will one day 3D print us homes on Mars. The Future Lab podcast is brought to you by Randox. It's presented by me, Lucy Johnston. The producers are Arlie Adlington, Isis Thompson, Paul Smith and Peggy Sutton from Something Else with Neil Cole.